When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Well, would you look at this? Yours truly back on the board. Troy's out. He's got a toothache. <laughs> Travion is at Lollapalooza Part 7. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, AJ was going to be a real trooper. I texted him like, so you're out for today, even though he doesn't really work on uh, on Thursdays. He's like, no, I got." he kind of broke it down for me. He's like, he's got class. He's going to do uh, student radio for soccer tonight. But he's like, hey, if you need me to skip class, I'll do it. <laughs> I was like, no, like, no, you, you – Get your education. No, no, you don't have to do that. But if if you could, that'd be cool, man. <laughs> Skipping class. Well, let me know what you're up to Friday. <laughs> Who goes to class on Friday? Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner and David G. It's just us two today. The phone number 537-1350. couple of guests today leading off at uh, the second hour at 510. Once again, we'll be joined by former K-State wide receiver Curry Sexton. Uh, coming up here in a few moments as well in hour number one, we get our official Mizzou preview with Chris Kwasinski. He's from the Columbia Tribune, and uh, we had a very good conversation a couple of days ago about the Mizzou Tigers, so we'll get his breakdown coming up uh, a little later this hour. Plus, I'm going to have DG blindly rank five. Mitch in Vegas will make our week three predictions a much better week for DG after <laughs> getting skunked. Oh. In Dude. week two. And you, I, I was telling Troy, I was like, my DraftKings is good. My Mitch and Vegas picks, wow, man. Well, that's the thing. If it was I, – I can be bad luck sometimes. If I were to bet on college football, I have a feeling I wouldn't have too good of luck either. Because you, you said you do great at DraftKings, but it's the opposite for me. Like I think I'd be bad at betting on sports – but my Mitch and Vegas picks would be solid. I, I've, I've gone three and three. I'm even money through three weeks. Yeah. Zero, week zero, one and two. Better than five and 13, man. But I when I saw that five, I thought, thank God, one and 11. <laughs> well, in this week's this week's slate of games, this weekend's slate of games, you know, on Saturday, you don't have a single top 25 matchup. I mean, the ACC is pretty much playing most of their games. Uh, against other Power 5 opponents, but there's nothing really too intriguing there. And the ACC isn't exactly the hottest conference right now. Some SEC matchups, but I mean, I think K-State-Missouri, marquee-wise, at least in my opinion, maybe a little bit biased, is one of the better games in college football this weekend, and it's freaking stuck on the SEC network. Dude, I know. Like when I, The list that you had, I go, there must not have been much to pick from. Well, it's it's almost all... You know, Big 12 non-con games, other than Colorado, Colorado State. Right. And I'm simply just picking that because, well, all right, we have Fox going to Boulder or covering the Buffs three straight weeks. Uh, ESPN is now going to be doing College Game Day in Boulder for 
the Colorado State game and they're 0-2. So I'm like, why can't K-Man, why can't we wet our beak a little bit? For sure. Let's dude. pull in the ratings. Let's keep on, let's keep on the uh the Coach Prime Colorado bandwagon. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I love the games that you picked. Like I said, I went through DraftKings and looked and I was like, oh, Yikes. We, this week three is brutal. You know, DG, I'm sure back in the day before kids, before marriage, would stay up <laughs> and watch a 9, 9 p.m. kickoff for Colorado, Colorado State. Oh, man. And watch what Coach Prime is going to do to the, a bad Rams team. Are you are you still that way? Will you still stay up? Or are you in bed by 10 o'clock? So, you also get up in the morning and do the K-Rock morning show. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I. that's the thing. The sleep... It's not really, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. If I try to get to bed early, there's somebody still up. And then we need, you know, we have two little ones. So I'm trying to help out as well. So uh, sometimes I I don't go to sleep. uh, You know, like I, I go to bed late. On the weekends, there's so much sports going on that I do stay. I stay up late. I'll watch that Colorado State game. I'll also have like the laptop open. I'll be watching UFC. I'll be watching boxing. I watch a lot of sports. A I lot. love um, YouTube TV now has, you can now have four games on one screen. That is sick. The, the only issue is they won't let you pick the games. They won't let you organize your own, you know, four game watch. Yeah. You, you, know? th- you think that's got something to do probably like the technology is just like, it's probably crazy to allow you to pick the four games it would take on their end probably something crazy, but it's got to be in the next season or two. You'll have the ability to pick the four games, Cause, but it's still cool. well. And then they start charging you though. Oh, like, that's yeah. my fear. Like oh, for yeah. right now, it's free. Oh yeah. And it, if that means okay, well, if we're going to give this to you for free, we're not going to give you the option to pick the games. We're just going to pick them for you. I'm actually okay with that. Sure. I'm going to find four games that I'm okay watching at the same time. Mm-hmm. But but also at the same time, it's going to probably wind up, you know, two of those games aren't going to be that entertaining or it's a blowout. So then you you move it down to two. And then like in week one with TCU and Colorado playing in such a good game, K-State's playing the night game. I just switched over to just that game. That was the only good game on at the time. Yeah. K-State and Missouri kick off at 11 a.m. Saturday at a sold-out for Rowe Field in Columbia. First time the Cats play there in 2010, looking for their first win there since 2004. After they are down 21 nothing. Darren Sproles helps them bounce back and get the 10-point win. Got some news today during the coordinator's press conference, and that is about the offensive side of the football and Christian Duffy. Right tackle for the Cats, his 30-plus game streak came to an end at the beginning of the year where he didn't even practice during the preseason and he's practiced a little bit but has not even dressed for a game yet well now we've seen a you know a lack of consistency with the running game and a part of that I think is because you saw the struggles from Carver Willis at right tackle and then now you have Cooper Beebe moving around he's now playing a tackle and I thought it was actually first of all it was easier to see Cooper Beebe just demolish it, it kind of singled him out a little bit more, and especially in pass protection, was just a stone wall. Yeah, he's a man. Pushing around Trojans. Mm-hmm. But also, you take him out of the guard position, it, it's harder to sustain the running game. So we taught, we saw, saw, we saw the running game take a bit of a backseat in the game against Troy, and that was probably the most common uh, concern out of the Troy win was K-State just not sustaining the running game. Well, we got some news about Duffy today. Colin Klein talking to the media says after getting the question about 
Duffy, you know, Kleiman said, going to try to practice him. We'll know more on Thursday. Kleiman said, quote, probably not looking at that. Is in Duffy, you know, to translate a little bit. Don't have the full clip here or anything. But basically saying Duffy is most likely not going to play on Saturday is obviously significant because, as I said with D.Y. yesterday, and I brought up the question, the question obviously represented how I feel. The question was, does K-State need Duffy back now? My answer is yes. Right now, right tackle has been a weak spot, and it's been glaringly weak. John Pastore, who's a redshirt freshman, has yet to play, but he's also been banged up. Could probably, if it, if healthy, be in the rotation. But you're down to, right now, six or seven guys in the rotation with Duffy not playing, and you also have John Pastore, a redshirt freshman, not playing. But what does that mean for this game Saturday against Missouri? I don't think it's necessarily completely bad news for K-State. It may, at the most, even things up. I am pretty convinced that K-State, talent-wise, coaching, is the better team. But you're going on the road. Sold-out SEC Stadium. Rowdy environment. As I'm going to say on Powercat Game Day, this is going to be Mizzou's Super Bowl. They've been looking forward to this game. Their previous eight non-conference games in the last three years have had ticket sales of 76% capacity. Not, mm. a, not, a, not, not, not a good number. And I'm sure K-State fans did a, a damn good job of helping mm. sell out that stadium. Mm. We're going to see some purple in Faroe Field, which, by the way, I think they're doing like a gold out, like everybody's going to dress in gold. What? Uh, all of a sudden, this is Austin Powers 3, <laughs> and everybody's in gold. Oh, um, God. But the purple's going to stand out for sure. 11 a.m., are the fans going to show up? Probably. It's not going to be like a Lubbock, Texas. Like Drinkwitz pretending not to know who Colin Klein is. Ugh. I mean, trying to downplay it, I guess. I mean, but he also said this is one we've been looking towards to. I'm for sure. First of all, you want the rematch, and you want the victory, but it's a team that's not too far away that's going to travel in a bit of an old rivalry there for sure but I do worry about K-State two straight games not being consistent in the running game Missouri's rush defense in the past 15 games so all of their season last year and their two games this year 511 carries they've battled against they've given up 1,749 yards and 19 touchdowns that is just 3.4 yards per carry and by the way off to an amazing start this year. 64 carries, only given up a buck 17. That is 1.8 yards per carry, and they have not given up a single touchdown. The only shot that Middle Tennessee had to move the football was throwing, and they had over 200 yards passing. And that's the thing like, Mizzou's pass defense has veterans, probably has some NFL guys. Hasn't been quite solid yet. I'm going to ask Chris Kwasinski about that, about how he feels about the pass defense so far. But it all comes down to how successful can K-State be running the football. There are questions, you know, like, like Treshawn Ward. I've, I honestly have been pretty happy by the way he's running the football. I just think his vision, his vision could be more consistent. There's just times where he doesn't see the open gap, runs into his own guys, or runs right into a tackler. And instead of getting you know 10 yards on a play, he gets four or five. You know, it, it could be better. Treshawn Ward and, and DJ Gins, of course, it all could be better. But it depends on the defense or the offensive line. And I think – Deed, you had told us me a story one time about when you played college football, and didn't you have like a similar situation where a key lineman was out? Maybe you had to step in. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And that's part of the thing. I think a lot of people don't realize the offensive line, the starting group changes a lot. And then it, during the game, too, a lot of guys come in and out um, because of necessity. Sometimes they just like playing a lot of guys, you know, because they have eight, you know. Um, that That's not new. It, it, does, it doesn't have to be the same five guys starting for 40 straight games. That That's not – it doesn't happen that often, and it doesn't have to. Carver Willis has to – he has to man up. He just he's he's got to get put on his big boy pants and start playing football. They recruited him for a reason. He's big and athletic. He can play. He just has to step up and do his thing. Either if if he doesn't, I still have full confidence in the K State coaching staff to put the five out there that are going to get the job done. But it's like Dy says it does when you plug someone else in there that that hurts that other side that you took from obviously. Um. So they need to find a guy quick that can fill in that spot um, or the other and and elevate their game. The game has to be elevated. And I don't want to put it all on, you know, one guy. You you hate to just single one person out and say, that's his fault. It's all his fault because the offensive line works on communication. And they know. They know if a guy's struggling or not. And it's up to the unit themselves to say, hey, what what do you need? Do we need to stay after? Do we have to stay after practice and work on stuff? What is it? The footwork? Let's work on footwork afterwards. The the unit itself has to say, let's bring the, our brother up. Let's help him out. And also, the adversity during a game. If you got to switch a guy over, if BB has to go to the right side, the left side needs to step up and let's go. Let's work this out and get it figured out. It will be a true test of the adversity this tomorrow. Make no mistake. Saturday or Saturday. <laughs> um, I I get all weirded with the Thursday. It's just anyway. I got you. Um, it's going to be a true test. They're going to give K State their best shot. That's there. That is absolutely a hundred percent. You know, they're still stinging from last year, and you like you said, their defense is good, and they're so that's a prideful group, and that's a confident group coming in. And they see the same thing everybody else does. That right side, that guy's. We, we can come after him. It's going to be a true test, and it's going to be a test of their adversity and their guts. If they can stick, step up, and win a hard game on the road against an SEC opponent, I don't, you don't care who it is, an SEC opponent on the road, that'll be a true test of their mettle and, and what we can expect throughout the season. Absolutely, you bring up to me for me two thoughts there. Uh, one on Carver Willis. I, I don't want to say that he's been, you know, all around. A bad player or anything go back to that first series for k-state offensively and he crushed mm-hmm. i mean he was phenomenal in that series it just it's a lack of consistency and not doing a good job of pass protecting mm-hmm. where he's allowed free runners to go get will and will has to shuffle shuffle out of the pocket to the right which it's kind of funny like even though will's right-handed i just you know just by watching him i don't have any numbers to back this up but it's like he's actually better when he when he flushes the pocket, if he goes to the left more than he is to the right, he's yeah. just kind of better to the left. I don't know. He just kind of frames up better and gets ready to throw the football. He just seems more natural mm-hmm. uh, flushing the pocket over to the right side or to the left side uh, when he's chased out. But you know, you're right. Carver Willis has got to step up because he's going to need to play. Yeah. And if he doesn't do well, he's going to get yanked, and then we have to have we're, we're going to have to put Cooper Beebe at right tackle, and then it's questionable how good the rushing attack can be. But it's interesting. 
because both teams are probably best with the guys in the box. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that Missouri is best on defense. Their offense isn't close to how good their defense can be. But, I mean, K-State has is top 10 in the nation through two games of stopping the run, tackles for loss, sacks, um, and scoring defense. Well, Mizzou is actually just right behind them. Mm. In every single stat I just listed off, I mean, just right behind them. We're talking 1.5 off of the of the tackles for loss, one off on the sacks, a couple of points. You know, they've allowed more points. K-State had the shutout in week one. That's another thing, though. K-State has, I think, played tougher competition in the first couple of weeks. But, you, you know, if K-State did not give up the 46-yard run to Kamani Vidal in the Troy game, I mean, K-State has only get up 30 yards rushing on 53 carries if you take away that one run. I mean, it is absolutely a dominant performance. Even though Mizzou isn't far off of K-State, K-State's still the better team. Let's mm-hmm. not get that wrong. K-State is still the better team, but it honestly might come down to is who is best being two-dimensional, being able to throw the ball and also run the ball. Coming up next, we are going to preview the Missouri Tigers officially with Chris Kwasinski, and he is from the Columbia Tribune. That's next. We are back on the game. Mitch Fortner and David G. K-State Volleyball actually playing right now at Morgan Family Arena. They're in set one against Long Island. And Long Island has been brought up probably 20 times <laughs> this week. Uh, K-State is a point away from winning set one. They're up 24-20. to 20. If it wasn't for 10 attack errors, K-State was... Is probably done with this set, of course, and cruise to a set one victory, but they're up four, and it is set point four. The Cats, and like Troy said, we got K-State. We don't, but uh, K-State soccer is in action tonight. They open Big 12 play as they will face the Cincinnati Bearcats at Boozer Family Park, and that will kick off at 7 o'clock. K-State volleyball is officially one set one. They won 25-20. to 20. All right, let's officially look at the Missouri Tigers as we now welcome in Chris Kwasinski, and he is from the Columbia Tribune. Chris, first of all, thank you for your time. First question I ask is based on K-State being there a couple of times during the climate era where there's been a close loss against a group of five opponent or a close win. You know, you feel like K-State should have won by multiple scores. Mizzou just went through that winning this past Saturday at home against Middle Tennessee, 23-19. They're 2-0. and what was the reaction that you gathered from the Mizzou fan base? Yeah, I think it's a little bit underwhelmed, specifically from our point of view as the media, that they've been using the same phrase over and over, uh, STP, something to prove. They kind of have that acronym. They carried it with them for the last six, seven months, and they go into a Conference USA game at home at night where there's plenty of fans, one of the biggest crowds I think we've seen uh, in a while, and they only beat that team by four points. And the most disappointing thing I think that came from that game was just self-inflicted mistakes because that's what kind of played Mizzou last year. You know, at this point in the year four drink, which they kind of be over that, especially with plenty of returning players on offense and defense, but it just comes down to that execution part of it. And they're a little underwhelmed. I think a little antsy considering this game is arguably one of the biggest in the Drinkwitz era. I'd say it's the most important game in the Drinkwitz era. And it's at home. It's at 11 a.m. They got a ranked team coming to town. And um, I guess fans are just a little on edge, especially now when you don't really know what's going to happen considering there was a game last year where this very same team whipped Mizzou on the road. 
Well, Chris, first we take a look at the Missouri offense led by quarterback Brady Cook, who returns for his fourth year with the Missouri Tigers. K-State saw him last year, throws for no touchdowns and two interceptions. And last year had six total touchdowns throwing in two blowout wins. The rest of the year, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions. So far this year, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 376 through the year. The fans and coaching staff looking for growth in Brady Cook in 2023. Have you seen signs of growth through Cook so far this year? So far, I'm, I'd say the one noticeable jump is uh, he looks a lot more uh, comfortable. I know at the start of the season last year, it was finally his time. They had the keys to the car, and he was kind of driving it as it was, kind of figuring out things as he went along. Um, I know it's a little different since his favorite deep threat, Dominic Lovett's gone, transferred out to Georgia, and they took a while to get that rapport built up, especially with the deep passing game. And uh, No Luther Burton's there. They're kind of trying to do the same thing there. And Luther's a very talented player probably the best player on this team. Well, when it comes to Brady right now, the one thing we've seen is a little bit more careful with throwing the ball. And uh, I know Drake was mentioned that today. He needs more opportunities to throw the football, but he brings that running dynamic that I think he could utilize a little bit more, especially considering the first couple games. But um, I think the Arkansas game last year definitely is Brady Cook at his best, where uh, if you're given an opportunity to throw over the field, kind of stretch the field, but also that gives him the opportunity to use his legs. Then he's a dangerous quarterback. He can move the ball. He can move the chains, get the ball into the end zone. But that all comes down to taking care of the football. And uh, last week against Middle Tennessee State, he had that fumble, which went out of the back of the end zone for his safety. And granted, not all his fault. The offensive lineman can't get beat up front um, and kind of let that happen. But he tried to do a little too much, which led to a fumble. And he's just got to do a better job of taking care, taking care of the football. And he hasn't thrown an interception in, I think, seven games. I think that might be eight games now. So he's doing a better job through the air. But when it comes down to just securing the football, uh, that's probably something they're going to harp on a little bit this week. Chris, you mentioned Luther Burden, and it was last year. Expected that he would come out and be a a main focus for the K-State defense, and he certainly was just one catch for three yards. We know he's an electric player, can be an electric player. Will Lee, one of the corners for K-State, is from Missouri. He knows Luther Burden from high school. He has played against him and knows how good he can be. My question is, though, I noticed he had 100 yards, over 100 yards receiving against Middle Tennessee. Why did it take 15 games for him to have his first 100-yard day? comes for a couple of reasons. The first I know is kind of getting acclimated to uh, the college game. And like you said yourself, there's a lot of teams that saw his five-star status and saw him immediately in the starting lineup and say, hey, that's a guy you got to watch out for. So that's a guy you gotta, you got to pinpoint every down, make sure you know where he's at. Uh, and a lot of teams keyed on him. And it took him, it probably took him a little bit of a time to get, to get used to that, get used to not just uh, that, that focus, but also get used to the talent level because, uh, you know, when you're going off for 100 yards and a couple touchdowns against St. Louis schools, it's a lot different when you're doing that against SEC talent, especially Kansas State kind of talent. Uh, but but I do think it also comes down to the position change, too. He went from being an outside receiver to being Mizzou slot receiver. He's going to have a lot more opportunities. He's going to be more of the focal point. Dominic Lovett was that player last year, was in the slot. And you saw the, the production he had. It was unquestionably one of the best receivers in the SEC. And uh, right now, when you look at Luther filling into that slot, he, he's got more routes he can run. He's got more opportunities to catch the ball in different ways, uh, not just short routes, but intermediate, uh, deeper routes, too. He's uh, last couple of games, he's been able to get steps uh, on the cornerbacks that he's been up against and uh, kind of beat him consistently. And then it's on Brady Cook to you know, deliver a catchable ball downfield, kind of hit him in stride in that way. And um, and I feel like they're almost there, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult this week as opposed to the first two weeks. And um, But right now, when you're watching him in the slot, uh, that's 
a more natural position for him, and I think there's a good chance that he'll be a little bit more of a factor this week than in last year's game. Chris, one more question about the offense. That's about running the football and protecting the quarterback. The offensive line gave up the most tackles for loss last year in the SEC. MSU fans want to see more ground game. Last year averaging just about a buck fifty. Right now the numbers aren't looking too improved there. Is it fair to say the O line still has some work to do? Oh, there's definitely still work to do. I know Drinkwitz mentioned it last Saturday after the game that uh, they gave up four sacks to Middle Tennessee State. And I know that's a team that misses a lot. Uh, but four sacks in that instance, that, that's not acceptable for a team that really looked to improve the offensive line. Entry was even uh, before the season started, said the old line was one of the most improved units as a whole. And, uh, and they have to go back to the drawing board. They kind of get a little more competition. You talked about it today, the right guard position as somewhere that they need to build more competition kind of stoke that fire a little bit. So that needs to improve. I don't think there's any doubt that it has to improve by leaps and bounds by Saturday, just because I know there's a lot of really good pass rushers that Kansas State has that are going to attack in different ways. And if you want to be a factor in the scheme offensively, you need to protect up front, not just that, but in the running game too. And uh, we saw a little bit more uh, of the two-way running attack that Mizzou has with Cody Schrader and Nate Pete. Um, I'd like to see Nate Pete get more carries. Uh, he's the shiftier back. He's, uh, I guess, the, the more experienced back if you want to talk about Power 5 competition. Um, but uh, in the backfield, I also think he's a better receiver. Cody's, Cody Schrader's a little bit more rugged. You know, he'll inside zone you guys to to you know, make you stay honest that way. But um, it, it comes down to that thunder-lightning type of uh, rushing attack that they want to have. But again, it, it doesn't go very far if your offensive line isn't getting the effective blocking that it Chris Kwasinski is our guest. He covers the Mizzou Tigers for the Columbia Tribune. Moving over to the defensive side of the football, I'll tell you what, the guys in the box for both teams are off to a phenomenal start. K-State's defense against the run, best in the country so far, allowing just 33 yards a game. Uh, One of the best in tackles for loss and sacks. Mizzou's numbers are not far behind. 1.8 yards per carry against the run, 18.5 tackles for loss and 7 sacks. So take me through the guys in the box. Who are the key players that have led to this pretty successful start for the Mizzou defense. Yeah, when you think of right up front, um, one of the most impressive things about this defense so far is we, we knew that guys like Tyron Hopper, uh, Chad Bailey, uh, even though Chad's been injured, uh, Chuck Hicks, Damian Wilson at linebacker, uh, Chris Aiden Strain and a strike straw, uh, the, you know, the, the usual suspects from last year who returned, uh, who could have gone pro but decided to come back. Uh, we know that they're good, but the defensive line up front had some players move around, had some things shift. Players departed out of the draft or through the transfer portal. And uh, right now you have guys like Darius Robinson who can play on the edge, who can play a defensive tackle. Christian Williams is another guy that had a really solid run stopper. His penetration last couple games, just the point of attack, has been impressive. Niles Gaddy found his, found his feet, I guess, last week against Middle Tennessee State. We had two sacks, and uh, that effective pass rush for the transfer from uh, Billy Jackson State is is something that this team really needs. They need that consistent pressure. And uh, then there's guys like Johnny Walker, too, who's kind of been biding his time the last couple of years, waiting for his opportunity. And uh, he showed up against South Dakota. And, uh, he had a pretty impressive game. And uh, they need to replicate that, not just Saturday morning, but they need to do it consistently. Because, uh, like you said, it's, it all comes down to that pressure. And they've been able to do that. They've got a lot of sources and a lot of different players that can get that pressure. But um, this is 
going to be the biggest test for them considering the, I guess, the talent level, the offensive line they're going to be facing against the Wildcats. The secondary is interesting for Mizzou. Heck, Kleiman said it on, on Tuesday. You know, both of these teams have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that played in last year's game, which K-State won 40-12. to But K-State didn't have a lot of success throwing the football again, raining, had those delays. What was good running the football? A lot of veterans on that secondary for Mizzou. Chris Abrams Drain, he, was a, he broke up a ton of passes last year, and some think he could be a, a future NFL type of player. Middle Tennessee did pass for 214 and two touchdowns. That's how they best moved the football. So at what level is the secondary playing right now for Mizzou? I think good, not great. And, and I think there's uh, just some early season uh, not not jitters, but I think still a little bit of that. I, I guess the gelling part of it, just because there's a new player that's in the star safety position. Where last year that was Martez Manuel, who was a multi-year starter. He was a captain. Dalen Carnell fills in that role now. He's very talented. Got a nose for football. Uh, one of my key players for this week is is a guy that needs to start forcing turnovers because this team has gone two games and has not forced a turnover. And that's going to be a point of really just a, a point of uh, expectation. Really, they they need to force more turnovers, and especially in a game where they need to win at home. And he's the guy that I'm looking at. But also when you think about J.C. Carlisle and Joseph Charleston in the back, two talented safeties who would say are a step below Ennis Raystraw and Chris Aiden Strain in terms of their NFL evaluation. Uh, with big seasons, they could kind of get more on hot boards and that kind of stuff. But they're they're talented and they're consistent players. And sometimes that's, that's what you ask for out of the safety position, too. And But right now, those two, uh, Rakestraw and, and Abrams Drain, they, like you said, they broke up a ton of passes. Um, I'd argue that they were just a, a half second away from having, you know, eight interceptions apiece just because they were just that talented. Uh, I think it comes down to the two of them and uh, kind of forcing the ball to go elsewhere and then forcing others to have the opportunity to make plays. Chris, got a couple more for you. The main criticism I gained from the win last Saturday from Missouri was Coach Drinkwitz not being aggressive on fourth and shorts. You know, the last one was fourth and one. He decides to punt it instead of just trying to go get that last yard, and that last yard would win you the game officially. And then after that, maybe some fans are questioning if Elijah Drinkwitz is the right guy for Missouri. This is his fourth season, and with going 2-0 to start this year, he's at 500, 19-19. So right now, how comfortable is this seat for Coach Drinkwitz? That's a really good question, and I think it just depends on... It's a really interesting spot, and I say that because this is the first time they've been 2-0 since 2018. That's the first time they've been 2-0 under Drinkwitz. So clearly, like something's working, but there's just a lot of other things that they need to clean up so they could be maybe not 2-0, but 2-0 in a much more impressive way. Um, and it's hard to argue with the results, especially after a win, but uh, like you said, there's that aggressiveness part of it, too. I mean, when you have 4-1 from Middle Tennessee State 44-yard line at home in a night game where you're up, uh, I think at that point it was 23-10 to with a chance to go up 30-10 to and put the game out of reach in the fourth quarter. Uh, he elected to punt and just trust his defense. And to me, that's is uh, is the college game evolved? You have to understand that uh, you know most aggressive team usually comes out on top, and in that case, I think Drinkwitz had a point after the game saying I'd rather punt the ball and let them go 84 yards for a touchdown as opposed to go 50 for a touchdown. But I mean, that's a game where you're on the ropes. You know, in uh, a couple plays later, it's then 23 to 19 after a safety, and they have the ball back with an opportunity to score to go ahead. So. You know, you really can't control uh, some of those things, but at the end of the day, uh, you would like to see this team trust its offense a little bit more, be more aggressive in those situations. Because, you know, come Saturday, if there's another situation like that, where it's maybe, let's say, two minutes to win, uh, two minutes to go in the game, and it was up, you get a first down, you win the game. 
know, what would you rather do? Would you go you know, try to win the game there or, you know, put the ball in the hands of a talented Kansas State offense, which has a good quarterback, has a good running game, has some good receivers too. So uh, it just depends on how they want to win. If they want to move defense, they trust their defense, that's fine. But, I mean, if you can sneak forward for a yard and you trust your offense to get that much, then that's another conversation too. But um, it just comes down to philosophies and how they want to win games. I personally would like to see them be more, a little bit more aggressive. But, again, if they keep winning, it's hard to argue with the conservative, hey, well, let's let the defense, which is clearly the better of the two units, close out a game. Well, Chris, to wrap up for O'Field is going to be sold out over 62,000 fans. Purple's going to show up as well, but it's going to be a full stadium. First time the Cats have played in Columbia since 2010. It's also an 11 a.m. game. My question is about the environment. Do you expect Mizzou fans to show up and make for O'Field a hostile environment? Oh, without a doubt, without a question. Uh, to be honest, I think the last couple games being at 7 o'clock and 6 o'clock uh, not, not took a little, a little bit of wind out of the sails. Uh, but, you know, it's a little different when you go and uh, you show up bright and early for a game and it's nice and bright out and uh, you are you are the focal point because at that point at the 11 a.m. slot and what other game is out there that's going to be as important as this game, especially at the SEC level but also for Kansas State level too. I mean, it's, it's an important game for both teams and I think if you can't get fired up for this one, if you're a Mizzou fan, then I don't know what to tell you, especially if you're a K-State fan. You know, this is a chance to go 3-0. It's a chance to to win a regional rivalry, and uh, I think those those games are too far, you know, in between each other. And I think there should be more of them, and especially when it comes down to the the pipeline of scheduling these kinds of games. But the interest is there, being a sold out crowd, and yeah, you might have to wait to enjoy a little beverage. But at this point, I, I think it's one of those games where you have to enjoy it because it doesn't come around very often. And um, I know the SEC slate is important for Mizzou, but the ultimate goal is to win the SEC East, which it is for Mizzou you can lose this game and still have that goal, but it becomes a little bit more difficult if you host this game and it doesn't go the way you want or you start to see more problems arise. And There's also the aspect of this is a ranked team and State's a really good team. There's also the idea that they whipped you guys last year. There's a lot on the, on the line from Mizzou, and I know the fans understand that, so Mizzou's got a lot to, lot to prove on Saturday. Well, I'm honestly glad to hear this is going to be a fired-up environment for this old Big 12 rivalry once again being renewed, and I'm very much looking forward to my first trip to Faroe Field. Chris, greatly appreciate your time, and we'll see you in the press box on Saturday. Sounds like a plan. We'll see you there. Once again, that's Chris Kwasinski. He is from the Columbia Tribune. He's on the beat for the Missouri Tigers. Again, kickoff just a few minutes after 11 a.m. on Saturday. Power Keg game day will start 7 in the morning. Both teams are 2-0. and Cats the only one ranked 15th in the nation. Still to come in hour number two of the game, Mitch in Vegas plus our weekly interview with former K-State wide receiver Curry Sexton. But when we come back, we play another game of blindly rank five. Explain what that's all about and who's the five. That's coming up next. That's for everybody that still has subs in their car. Yeah! I love this song, man. Ah! I never scared. I never scared. What? I never Oh, I was all about oh, it. Oh, my God. That was during my rap phase. I would Whew. tune into, a, I remember like VH1 had a top five every day. It was almost like every hour. Yeah. And yeah. this was this was on for like six straight months. <laughs> I was all about it. I bought the album, and it is filthy. It is. It is. Bone Crusher yeah. really is. I, I mean, it, it's so funny. He was on Celebrity Fit Club. Did you see that? Yeah, he was a big dude. And he's really nice, though. Like, he was super cool. And I, I go, that's the guy 
I ain't never scared. Talk about popping trunks on people. (laughs) Jeez. All right, so we're blindly ranking five. DJ's going to be doing the ranking and how this works. Blindly, well, it means that he's going to get something one at a time, Mm -hmm. and he's got to rank him one at a time. He's going to get the first one, rank it, but he doesn't know what's coming next. Hmm. The category today is college football coaches that were around 500. Oh, God. When they were coaching in the Big 12. Oh, boy. So we're going to rank 500, around 500 at best, Big 12 coaches. Oh. Well, four of them are Big 12 coaches. One of them is not, but you can be, uh, you could probably guess. We'll just lead off with this particular person. So the first coach you're going to rank is Eli Drinkwitz. Oh, God. Fourth year at Mizzou. His record is 19 and 19. His best season was well, been the last two each year six and seven, one win over a top twenty five team in the last three years. And you said all these guys are five hundred career. They've been at best around five hundred. Oh god! When they were coaching, you know, most of them Big Twelve, but Drinkwitz not. He's he doesn't. He doesn't deserve this. Um, but I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna put him at four. I, I'm mm-hmm. gonna expect there will be someone that I hate more than him. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that as a uh, as a pause. Okay. Because uh, I, I I'll be honest with you, I kind of agree with that spot yeah, for now. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. now, I I get where you're coming from. I think I would think the same way. Right. That makes sense. There's got to be somebody. Your next coach is Paul Rhodes. Seven seasons at Iowa State, thirty-two and fifty-five. His first year uh, was his best year, seven and six. But what kept him around was two years later. Knocked off number two Oklahoma State in 2011. (laughs) He got a big contract extension out of that and just was never good. No. Didn't he – didn't they go up to Lincoln and beat them like 9-7 to or something? That's the thing. Like, they occasionally had a big win. Yeah. But they they couldn't get to bowl games. Like, especially the last half. Like, he couldn't get to bowl games. And, and, And I don't hate him so bad. Um, is this is this a list of people I hate, or is it a list of like who's the like the uh, like the coaching, like how good they are, like uh, five top five or this is a rank the five on coaching ability. Well, that's the thing you're you're ranking them. Okay. It's your okay. ranking. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You do it how you want. Because K State man was a real pain in this guy's neck. Um, <laughs> that's tr- very true. I mean, really, ah. I'm gonna put him at three because he de- he had some he had a couple major wins. Yeah. All right. Paul Rhodes three. Eli Drinkwitz four. Yeah. Next is Ron Prince. Oh my God! Three seasons at K State, seventeen and twenty record. Best season was 2006, going seven and six. But he at least beat Texas five twice. five. <laughs> no question. Five. God, that guy. Man, I. Oh. God. I would put. I would put. Ron Prince over Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I, those those two to are those two. That depends on the day. It's really nice outside, so I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'll go yeah yeah yeah. Coach number four is Dan Hawkins. Dan Hawkins, five seasons at Colorado, nineteen and thirty nine. His best year was his second season. Going six and seven. Oh my god! But I think what I remember from that era is obviously not only was some incredible rants for sure. He would cut off press conferences early if he felt like 
like the media was asking rude questions. I remember one he was criticized about not running the football, losing. Yeah, it wasn't running the football. And you know he just he just left the press conference. <laughs> uh, but Cody Hawkins got worse as his season or as his career oh. progressed. Dude D- didn't really have a whole lot of defense those last couple of years. That listen, hindsight being twenty twenty, that he's he's in the, he's in the four or five range too. He sucked. Um, that too, he has to be number two because that's all I got. I got two and one left. He he was terrible. It, there is no doubt about it. Chris Peterson was the genius behind Dan Hawkins. That's just, oh, God. Your final, okay, so a former Big 12 school didn't coach in the Big 12, but your last coach is Scott Frost. <laughs> Four seasons and three games in Lincoln, 16 and 31 record. Oh. His best season was in year two, going five and seven. Again, these oh. are all coaches that were around 500 their best year. He was five and twenty-two in one-score games, oh and that's my brutal. God, absolutely brutal. But also zero oh and fourteen against the top twenty-five. <laughs> He's at number one by default. I like, dude. That is a list. That is a list. I mean, does it? At the end of the day, now that we have the full five, does does that mean Paul Rhodes is the best? <laughs> <laughs> would he be, or would would Ron Prince? I, I honestly, mean, yeah, Paul Rose might have been the best coach out of these. Uh, wow, out of these five. Oh my God, what a list! That that's your best blind five you've ever had. That that's amazing. Because I would probably go, I would go Paul Rhodes. Yeah, one. Yeah. You know, Dan Hawkins also had a marquee win. He did. He did. Beat Oklahoma. Yes. Number three team in the country. They came into Boulder, knocked them off, and I think that was year one. Made a statement early. Was also an entertaining coach. So I would probably put Dan Hawkins, too. So, right. So, again, um, Rhodes one, Hawkins two. I'm probably going Ron Prince three. Yeah. And then I go Drinkwitz four. And then yeah, Scott, Scott Frost. Frost is five. He, he's well, he actually, I probably go with Scott Frost four because I loved making fun of him, and I actually <laughs> was a little sad when he lost his job. For sure, it was it was good times when he was up there. It was definitely good times, and he was they were good at UCF. They were really good. All right, hour to the game. Curry Sexton, Mitch in Vegas is coming up next. So is your local news. news.